All right. Good morning, everyone. You know, it's so good to see God's people gather together to worship God at all times, when times are good, when times are bad, when times are challenging. And uh, yesterday, I, somebody sent me a, a video of uh, the airport in Singapore, Changi Airport. And there was nobody around. It's like a ghost town, you know. It's like, you know, uh, normally it's bustling, you know, people everywhere. And the streets of major cities are empty. And of course, people are taking precautions. But you know what? God's people are people of faith and wisdom. Can I say amen? Amen. And so there's a time to exercise wisdom, but there's also a time to exercise faith. But we know that it is important to gather together as God's people for mutual encouragement and worship. And this is what I want to go to today. As we turn our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10, I want you to read with me this very important passage from verse 19 to 25. So let's stand together as we read God's Word. If you have your children with you, we encourage you to uh, get your children to read out loud together as this is family worship. They are all full citizens of God's kingdom and God does not you know, despise young children. In fact, Jesus says children, the kingdom of God belongs to them. So all children and adults, are you ready? Say yes. yes. Alright, let's go. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain that is His body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with a full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Let's pray. Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit will come and be our teacher and cause these words to have meaning to each of us so that we can apply it in our lives and that your word may create faith in us to live a life that is worthy of you and that will bring glory to your name. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Please be seated. Now, The passage that we read, if you go the, to the previous frame, starts with a word. What's that word? All the children shout the first word there. Louder. One, two, three, go. Whenever you read the word therefore, you must ask the question, why is it therefore? 
You don't start a sentence with therefore, right? I mean, do you, do you talk to people and then you say, therefore, and then you tell your story and they're wondering, what? What are you talking about? Well, therefore is there for a reason. <laughs> it connects to what was said before. And what was said before is from chapter 1 all the way to chapter 10, verse 18. Okay? So, in other words, this passage is a bridge that connects two major sections of the book of Hebrews. And each, uh, the earlier verses actually tells us how, you know, the, we, how we can now enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus because he has opened the way for us that is through his body, right? His body was broken so that, you know, we can now enter God's presence. He's the great high priest. And this is the stuff of all the previous chapters telling us that this new covenant that is made possible by Jesus Christ is superior to the old covenant that was mediated through Moses, the man of God. So essentially what we are told here is that, these, uh, that this new and living way to enter God's presence is better, is superior to the old covenant. And therefore, we can be confident, we can be courageous as we live for God, even through these very challenging times. Can I say amen? And after this passage, let's go to the next frame. You will see that uh, as you see the day approaching. Say what day? Is it my birthday? <laughs> Is it? A holiday, the day is capital D, which means it is a very important day. It is a day when God brings judgment on the earth. And, you know, it's a series of events, actually. It's not just one single day. So it ends with a warning. It connects to a very, very uh, serious warning, a stern warning that it is possible that some may fall away from the faith if we don't pay attention to what God is saying in these six, seven verses, all right? So, therefore, it is very important for us to pay attention. And one of the main things this passage is talking about is that we need to continue to gather together for mutual encouragement. This is unique to the Christian faith. I was brought up in a family that didn't have much religion. My grandmother was the only person who was religious. She was a Taoist. I remember that there was a little like uh, a tablet or something like that in one corner of our house. And I remember like maybe 1st and 15th, you know, there would be something on it, you know. But I was never asked to participate in any of the rituals. And I have never remembered, I don't have any memory of my grandmother ever going to a temple. No memory whatsoever. So in my childhood, I have never stepped into a Buddhist or Taoist temple before. Now, how many of you here, uh, you were from... Taoist or uh, Buddhist background before and you used to go to the temple regularly. Would you wave to me? Come on. 
wave to me. Yeah, they are about, wow, okay. And now, the rest of you who didn't, you probably grew up in a, you know, no religion family, or you grew up in a Christian family. You know, as Wei Xiong said, when he was, when he was born, you know, uh, it was past the 80s already. You know, he had no experience of that. So many of you were born into a Christian family, so you have no experience of what it is to not be a Christian in that sense, right? And so uh, when I grew up, you know, I have no concept of religion because my grandmother never went to the temple and my parents were atheists. They were free thinkers. And so because they were free thinkers, when I became a Christian, uh, they didn't really object when I said I want to go to Bible school to serve God, you know, full time and I didn't even know what that meant, you know, at that time. And since they were free thinkers, they allowed me to freely think for myself, okay? They didn't like the idea of me going to Bible school at such a young age of 17, you know? And, uh, but they, they, they were consoled by the fact that he's still young, he might change his mind, you know? Well, uh, 45 years later, I've still not changed my mind, so they were wrong. But uh, I had no concept of having a religion where you went to a place to worship and you worship other people. So essentially, even today, you can be a good Buddhist or Taoist or free thinker without ever gathering with fellow Buddhists or Taoists or free thinkers. You, in other words, you can practice your religion all by yourself and you'll still be considered a good Buddhist. Is that true? There's no requirement, you know, the, the monk is not going to scold you. Hey, why didn't see you last week, huh? All right? No, you probably, even if you do go, you will go maybe on uh, very special occasions, right? A few times a year. But the uniqueness of the Christian faith is that it is not possible to be a Christian and not gather with fellow Christians, at least on a weekly basis. In other words, if you have chosen to follow Christ, if you have chosen to become a Christian and God has convicted you that He is the only Savior of the world, then it is not possible to live that kind of a life as a Christian all by yourself, solo. You need other believers and you need to have regular gatherings because God never intended for the Christian life to be lived alone. Encouraging others and being encouraged by others are both central to the life of an obedient Christian. I know some of us are very satisfied and contented people and we may feel like, you know, Pastor, I don't need anyone to encourage me. You know, I'm okay. Well, if that's true, you need to go and encourage other people because there are other people who need your encouragement. So both are essential. It is not just people who feel the need to be encouraged that they, that they go out and look for fellow believers together. It is people who feel like everything is fine with my life right now. You know? Well then, all the more, you should go out and encourage other believers. And this is the core theme of Hebrews, that we hold fast to God. Hebrews 13, uh, 3, 14 and, 13 and 14. Is it? Did I put 14 and 14? Yeah. Now I just saw the mistake. Hebrews 3, 14, 14. 
Special emphasis. Huh? <laughs> but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today. So that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. Now, I want to ask how many of you, you want to hold on to your faith in Jesus to the very end? Can you say I, amen? amen? All right. Do you know that you cannot do that if you just keep to yourself? There's a great danger that we may let it go or we may fall away. And this book was actually written, this letter was written to people who were struggling with their faith because they were facing persecution, serious persecution. And they were trying to hold on to Jesus. It was difficult, but they needed mutual encouragement. Now, this is something that you and I may not be able to really understand because most of us have never experienced persecution. You know? I mean, when I became a Christian, my parents didn't object. They were free thinkers, right? But when Pastor Lydia, my wife, became a Christian, her parents were not happy, her mother especially. And when God called her to serve full-time and she wanted to enroll in the Bible school, her mother said, you go to Bible school, I will go and burn down the school. Okay? Yeah, she's very, very fervent for her faith. Uh, after she got converted, she's very fervent for Christ. Okay? <laughs> so, you know, she endured some persecution. And so she knows a little bit firsthand what it means to have pressure from family members. Right? But we have not experienced much of that. And we have not experienced that kind of pressure from the government authorities to say, you know, you cannot gather together. If you gather together, we will arrest you. You go to jail. You lose your possessions. We don't know what that means. And the believers were going through that at that time. And instead of reacting to difficult times with fear or doubt, we should hold fast to our faith in God and see how we can encourage fellow believers not to give up and to hang on to God. Not just to believe, but to act out in love and good deeds. Can I say amen? So the core message in this passage is firstly, hold fast to our home. Say, hold fast to our home. Verse 23 says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. How is that possible? Because he who promised is what? Faithful. Amen. Let's tell the person beside you, God is faithful. Yeah, that's why we can hold fast. He has made so many promises to us. Even in this, short, in this letter, for example, Hebrews 10, 17, He has promised to remember your sins no more. He says, their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. And Hebrews 10, 16, He says, this is the covenant I will make with them after that time says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts. I will write them on their minds. This is his promise. It's a new covenant quoted from Jeremiah 31, 33. And he has promised also in Hebrews 13, 21, 
to make you complete in every good work to do His will, working in you what is well-pleasing in His sight. So God is saying He's going to do something in you to cause you to want to do His will. It sounds very much like Philippians 2.13. So it's possible that it's the same author. It could have been Paul. We're not sure. So God has made us many promises and God always keeps His promises. Can you say amen? Amen. So we can make this hope visible because God will keep His promises as we hang on to Him. And the second message in this passage is very simple. Encourage each other to love and good deeds. Encourage each other. Verse 24 says, let us consider how to stimulate one another. It does not say, let us stimulate one another. You know, it's like, okay, you do it, you do it. As long as you do it, it's fine. Now, that's biblical, but it goes beyond. It's saying, not only you do it, you look at your brothers and sisters in Christ and you think how you can stimulate them. In other words, it goes beyond what you do by yourself. We are responsible to one another, to stimulate one another, to love and good deeds. It is going the second mile in that sense, right? So the focus is on helping others become loving people. Now, of course, if we are going to stimulate other people, we ourselves need to be stimulated. Yes or no? Hello? We cannot encourage other people to be loving and to serve. When we ourselves are not doing it, it will just be empty words, right? So in other words, we, by our own example, will do it and then we look for ways to encourage other people to do the same. You see, an obedient Christian aims not just to love and do good deeds, but help to stir up others to love and good deeds. That means, you know, we are not just doing it by ourselves. As long as I'm doing my part, you know, I don't care whether other people are doing their part. We are to constantly look for ways to bring other people along. That's what it means, consider. And this verse actually is quite difficult to translate from the Greek, but... Maybe the closest would be this. Consider one another toward the stimulating of love and good works. It's a bit bad grammar in English, but that's the essence. Okay? And, you know, I want to pay tribute uh, to a dearly beloved brother, Brother Cheong, who got called home just a few days ago. I think it was on Tuesday. And he was a brother who... From the time I knew him almost 30 years ago, always went out of his way to encourage other people. You know, his very gentle, unassuming way uh, and just to encourage them, come on, you know, serve the Lord, you know, uh, let's go and do something and he, he would pull people along and he would encourage others to serve and to even uh, to serve as leaders, you know, and in his own unassuming where he served selflessly, caring for people, sharing Christ with whoever, and especially after God gave him an extension of life, you know, he was given six months to live and, 
and God gave him another 18 years, and for 16 over of those years when he was, you know, fit physically, he, he went all over the place, literally all over the world, to share his testimony and to encourage other Christians, right? And so this is, uh, this is what this verse is about. I think he lived a life that really exhibited this verse so that, you know, every morning when we get up, our first thought should be not just what can I do for myself or what can I do for my fellow believers whom I'm going to meet in the workplace, whom I'm going to meet in the cell group, in the, in the worship gathering, how I can stimulate them. What can I do today to stir them up to love and good deeds? Okay, so, you know, this is something that we constantly do whether in cell group, whether in the ministry you're serving in PCC, whether in the office that you meet fellow believers. Now, how can we do this? Verse 25 gives us a requirement. If this is to happen, verse 25 tells us how it's going to happen. Not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. So the first thing is that we must not neglect getting together. Don't neglect getting together. You see, it is not possible to do this kind of encouragement if we are not meeting face to face. Okay? And the writer of this letter was actually writing to people who were undergoing persecution. They were facing intense pressure from their fellow Jews, family members who had not yet become Christians, and from the religious authorities, and even from the state at that time. Now, most of the pistols that we hold in our hands uh, were written to Christians undergoing persecution. And if we do not have that context, it's very hard for us to understand what the authors were writing to them about. Because we don't understand. We have not gone through persecution. So we read it through our own spectacles. And we miss the meaning of it. So we have to try and put ourselves in the shoes of people going through persecution to understand why the authors are saying what they are saying. So here is a church that is persecuted. And this is not unusual because for the last 2,000 years, the church of Jesus Christ in different parts of the world, different times have been experiencing persecution. Actually, the Christian faith is the most persecuted faith in the world. And today, in many countries, including China, Christians are not allowed to meet except in the official three self-churches where the pastors are appointed by the government. I, I wonder if you are you will come and attend the church if the government appoints me and the government requires me to preach what is pro-government. <laughs> yeah, that's what's happening. So the only option is to meet in a house or unregistered church. But now they're arresting people who are meeting in unregistered churches. Okay? Pastors are going to jail, even leaders and Christians are going to jail. And it's not just that. 
even when you break any of those rules, your social credit is deducted. And in China, they have a social credit system. Okay? So once your social credit drops below a certain point, you cannot even buy a ticket at the train station. You cannot book a flight. Your bath eventually become like a non-citizen. You know? And it's very, very difficult to live a normal life. And Christians have to consider, am I willing to pay this price just to come and meet with God's people, even in the house? Because as you prayed just now, those who came early, I encourage you to come early every morning, to, uh, Sunday morning to pray because you know, we're going to pray for other Christians elsewhere. I'm going to pray for our nation and so on. Uh, the times of prayer are very important. We prayed for, for the Christians because the, in China now, some cities and more and more, they give a reward for those who report unauthorized meetings. Any meeting without permission from the government, if you report it, you get a reward. So it's dangerous to even meet as a small group because there are other ears that are listening. So it was a heavy price that they pay. Now, this is not unusual. It has been going on in the former Soviet Union and communist countries. And uh, here's a man, name of Joseph Gabor. He grew up in what was called uh, Czechoslovakia. Okay? Today is a split up Czech Republic and Slovakia. And at that time, it was under communism. And they despised anyone who had a religion. They say, you know, if you have a religion, it's because you are weak. You need a crutch to lean on. His father taught communist doctrine classes. But his mother, Joseph's mother, believed in Jesus Christ. And her mother decided, I'm going to take my son, my two children, my two, uh, two sons, to church every Sunday because they were still allowed to. So what did she do? Every Sunday morning, she got them up early. Early morning. And they went to the train station. They took a train. Three hours later, they arrived in Prague. Okay? Those of you who are good at counting, huh? adding, just keep the figure in mind. Three hours later, they reached Prague. And then they walked to church from the train station. And then they attended the worship service. It was two and a half hours long, okay? Add it up. Then they walked to the nearby park and ate a packed lunch together. After lunch, they walked back to the church for the next worship gathering, which went on for another two and a half hours, okay? Add it up. And then after that, they walked back to the train station and they took the train. And three hours later, they reached back to their hometown. Now, how many hours is that? Almost 12 hours, right? 12 hours. I wonder how many of you would go to a service if it took you three hours. <laughs> I hear many Christians, you know, say, oh, yo, traffic bad. Oh, hey, I'm going to skip church. <laughs> I'm going to worship at home. After all, Jesus is with me, you know, <laughs> right? It's very easy to rationalize it, right? But, you know, this is a commitment that they made. And Joseph later became a missionary to his own people, especially when, you know, the, the, uh, he grew up. And 
you know, he tells his experience as a child. Whenever he tells his experience, his eyes are filled with tears of gratitude. You know, for a mother who cared enough for his spiritual welfare to bring him to church every Sunday without fail, even though it took the whole day. How many parents are willing to send their children to church if it takes three hours? <laughs> I was at the park this morning. Just went for a short walk and I was at the nearby park, my house, you know, the, the corner, and, and I noticed that there were cars arriving and dropping off teenagers, you know. They were like form four, form five, you know, teenagers. One after another. And then I realized, I remembered, oh, it's not even eight o'clock in the morning. This is a Sunday morning. And the parents are dropping their children for tuition. This must be a famous tuition teacher. There were a few dozens, you know, they're just arriving in droves, you know, before eight o'clock. I want to ask, how many of you will send your children for spiritual instruction at 8 a.m. Sunday morning. You say, Pastor, in the first place, they don't wake up so early. And even if they wake up, I don't want to wake up. <laughs> I want to sleep in. It's Sunday morning. And here are these parents sending their children for tuition. 8 a.m. That means 7 something, they get them up give them breakfast or whatever and then drive them, you know, from all over Glugo and all over which part, I don't know where else they come from, okay? Right? Parents from all the different races, Muiba, Malays, Chinese, Indians, you know, all right? All of them share one common value. That is, they want their children to score A. <laughs> okay? Now, if the people who do not know God value education and value good results so much. I wonder whether as Christian parents we value our children's spiritual development enough to make sure that they not only come and worship God as a family, even if it takes half an hour, one hour to go, make sure that they go to the cell group to mutually encourage one another, going to the, the ISCA or whatever youth program that is plan for them. You see, this is what it costs. And this is what they were doing. God's people were doing this throughout the ages against all odds, even in very difficult, challenging times. Why is this so important? Because Hebrews 3.13 tells us that we are to encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be what? Hardened by sin's deceitfulness. You see, sin is very deceitful. It doesn't come to you and tell you the outcome, you know. If you do this, you will go to hell, you know. You will die. No, it, it just presents itself as something harmless. And the more we give in to it, the more our heart is hardened and the more drastic the next choice becomes and the more drastic the consequences. And before long, our heart is hardened. And this is how it works. You know, we, we develop 
like a habit, you know, that eventually just causes us to, well, it's all right, you know, I miss one week, I have something has, has come up, you know, oh, I'm not feeling very well, okay, another week is gone, you know, Ayah, the virus is around. I stay at home like another week, you know. Oh, my friends are in town. Hey, another week, you know. So before long, it's become a habit. It's become a habit. And, you know, corporate worship and fellowship is actually a good habit. It's a good habit. Can you say amen? But it's also easy to develop the opposite habit, and that is the habit of staying home. After all, Jesus is with me. God is everywhere. Well, you can become theologian. Huh? God is everywhere. God is with me. And I can listen to the most famous preacher. I don't have to listen to Pastor Isaiah. It's so boring anyway. You know? <laughs> all from the comfort of my own home and enjoy popcorn at the same time. <laughs> all right? So, you know, it, the options are endless today. And, you know, we can keep doing that and before long we have developed a habit a habit and that habit can be costly because if satan can isolate us then it's much easier for him to pick us out you know those of you who, who like to watch nature movies haven't you seen you know in the in a while, how these lions, when they hunt the animals, you know, whether it is a wildebeest or what, what do they do? Do they look, do they go and attack the whole group, all of them just, you know, in one group, all of them with the horns, you know, pointing out uh, as a circle, watching each other's back? No, because they know they stand no chance. They probably be injured. So what do they do? They look for the one that is by themselves, right? Have you seen that? Come on, wave to me, children. Uh, the one that, you know, straggle by themselves, you know, it's like, oh, I see this grass, very nice, I can't eat, you know. Uh, oh, I want to see what's going on here. And then before long, they've lost the pack, right? They're all by themselves. And when they are by themselves, it's so easy for <clears throat> the wolf or the lion to grab them. So it's the same with Christians. When we are together, we protect each other. We watch for each other. But when we isolate ourselves and we don't even meet with fellow believers regularly, we become easy prey for the enemy. Now, this is important to do so, not just meeting together for vertical worship. You know, it's like, yeah, when we come together, one of the things we do in a large group is that, you know, we are all talking to God at the same time. We sing songs to Him at the same time. We listen to His Word at the same time. And all of you are facing in one direction. Do you notice that? Hello? If you face another direction, people will ask you, hey, what are you doing? Huh? What are you doing here? Huh? So we all face one direction because the structure of the large gathering is not so much face-to-face but it is facing God, so to speak, right? So it's vertical. But this is not the only gathering that's important. The other gathering is one in which we meet face to face. We sit around in a small circle, 10 or 12 people, sometimes eight, and in such a way that we are able to watch one another. 
And then we are also able to observe what's going on in each other's lives. You see, the nature of worship is that we are here to encourage one another, even though it's largely one-directional, right? And that's why, you know, uh, th these ideas that are coming from, I don't know, from the West or where, is, is very insidious, you know? It's like, when we want to worship, we want to just have that privacy between me and God. It's just between me and God. Shut out the world. Shut out everybody else. Dim the lights so that you cannot see my face, I cannot see your face. That's how a lot of Christians worship today in the very, very large gatherings. Okay? Concerts is like, you cannot see each other. In fact, you can trip and fall over somebody <laughs> because it's so dark. But the Bible says God is light. And when we fellowship one another, we walk in the light. We are able to see each other's face. And if you notice your brother, something is wrong. You can see it on their face. Are you with me? Hello? Or are you so blurred? Huh? How are you? Fine. How are you? Fine. I told you, fine. Lah. Okay. You're not fine. Something is wrong. And you become your brother's keeper. So we need to be able to see each other, each other's expressions. And this is more so when we sit together in a small circle where we can watch over one another and we can encourage one another. And the, the idea is that we are supposed to provoke each other. That means get a reaction. Not just say, hey, you know, let's serve God together, uh, let's trust God, but get a reaction. Provoking suggests that we want to motivate people so that there is a reaction because, look, it is possible that because of the pressures of life, we become lazy and complacent. How many of you will be honest to say that sometimes we can become lazy as Christians? Uh, all the honest people, not your head. Yeah, we, we can get lazy. And that's why we need mutual encouragement. You know, when we become lazy, we say, oh, yeah, let other people do it. Lah. Let the other Christians serve. You know, after all, there's so many people in PCC, you know, let them serve. You know? I just come and I sit and just enjoy God's presence and I go home. You know? And everything's fine. And typically, in many churches, they say 20% of the members do 80% of the work. That's typical. I thank God, in PCC, we have about 50% that are involved in some kind of ministry. Ranging from, you know, once in two months, <laughs> once a month, once a week, two times a week, a few hours a week, so, you know, it, there's a wide range of involvement. But it all, when you add, up all, when add everything up together, it's about 50%. Okay? Are we happy with 50%? No! We want to have 100% of everyone contributing something. Nobody sitting back and saying, let others do, do the work because we are family. We share the responsibility. And so, attending worship is important, but we need to actually go beyond 
to develop deep and meaningful relationships where we can be honest with each other, where we can challenge each other to love and serve, to love and serve, so that when we develop a close enough relationship, then we can take the risk of asking, brother, how are you really? Are you really fine? I sense something is not right. How can I help you? That is called true fellowship. Amen. It is not just talking about anything under the sun. It is for mutual encouragement so that we hold on to Jesus and so that we serve Him fervently. So fellowship and service are actually interconnected. You, know, you cannot actually have fellowship if you're not doing something together. You don't have a common objective of serving Christ together. And the more you serve, the closer you enjoy fellowship. So the two feet off each other is like a, a virtuous you know, circle, right? So this is how we experience true Christian fellowship. When we serve God together, when we do His will together. Can I say amen? And then we become closer. We understand each other better. What is the context of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, where it says, don't neglect meeting together? Is it the large gathering? No, it's not. Because by the time this was written, they were undergoing intense persecution. They were no longer allowed to meet in the temple courts, as in Acts chapter 2. Right? The only way they could meet was in small groups in houses, small groups facing each other. So this is actually a small group gathering he is talking about. He's saying, the author is saying, you know, get connected. Get connected. This is important. You need it. If you neglect this, if you don't meet together before long, sin's deceitfulness will deceive you. Your heart will be hardened and you may fall away from God. That's why he's so passionate in saying to them, even if you need to poke each other, go ahead, poke each other. <laughs> Provoke. <laughs> Get a response. Don't be passive. Don't just watch for yourself. Watch for other believers as well. So get connected. I know that there are many of you who are not part of any cell group. See any of our pastors. Go to the counterfeit form. We will connect you to one that is similar to you your stage of life where you can mutually encourage other believers. Amen. Do it. God is calling you to either strengthen that habit of meeting together in a large group as well as in a small group, which we call the cell group, or to begin that habit if you have not been doing so. Because God is faithful. Can I say amen? He will help you. You are not doing alone. If you do not have hope, you will not be able to encourage others. And if you don't encourage others, you will not have much hope either <laughs> because we need one another. You see, this is the fact of life as we are now living in the last days. Things will be diff difficult now. may be difficult now, but God can be trusted. Can you say amen? Tell the person beside you, things may be difficult, but God can be trusted. Yeah. The virus may come, but God can be trusted. <laughs> Amen. In fact, the more difficult life gets, 
the more we need to get together to encourage each other, to stimulate each other to hope in God, to love God, to serve God. Amen. Amen. Yeah. I want to bring this to a close. I know some people love to hear the word close. It's time to wake up, put on your shoes again. <laughs> and read with me God's word. <laughs> This is the following passages. Let's read together. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence it will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what He has promised. For in just a little while, He who is coming will come and will not delay. And, but my righteous one will live by faith. And I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. Amen. Now, you can see what's going on with the people. What's, what was happening to them? Let's go back to the previous frame. Right. What was happening? They were being insulted. Right? Some were thrown in prison. So they went to visit them. And many of them had their property confiscated. It says they were willing to accept it. They joyfully accepted it. Why? Because they knew they had better and lasting possessions. Can you say amen? Because they had hope. They had hope. Say hope. They had this hope which gave them the courage to hang on and to encourage one another to hang on even though things were difficult and to tell each other, don't throw away your confidence because God will richly reward you. Verse 35, amen. God will reward you. And then go back to the next frame. Because you need to persevere until you receive what God has promised because just a little while, He who is coming will come. He will not delay. Amen. This is hope. This is the message of hope that we need to continue to stimulate one another with. This is the whole point of coming together. It is not just to have koinonia. <laughs> koinonia in Greek. 
<laughs> Sounds like Hokkien, Queen, Nyonya. It's not just to enjoy food and talk about politics and football <laughs> and the virus. <laughs> it is to encourage one another to have hope, to keep on trusting in Jesus because His coming is very near. And Jesus warned us why this is important. Matthew 24, 12 says, it says, because lawlessness is increased. You know that lawlessness is increasing everywhere, even in the first world countries. Huh? People don't want to follow the law. They want to take the law into their own hands. Violence increasing. Most people's love will grow what? Cold. It's going to happen. But the one who endures to the end shall be saved. Now, how to make sure that your love for God will not grow cold? How to make sure that it's an antidote? And that is participate regularly in a cell group. <laughs> Serve in the ministry. Because when we face each other every week, you cannot hide. Huh? If your heart becomes cold before long, people will, will know. Right? And there's an opportunity for mutual encouragement. Huh? Mutual encouragement. That's what even non-Christians are doing in China, you know, all the, the nurses, you know. They tell each other, Jia You saw the, those videos, right? Huh? They're telling each other, come on, let's keep going. Right? It may be difficult, yeah, we may lose our life, but you know, we have a duty to perform. And so it is mutual encouragement through participating in a cell group and serving in a ministry together. Because the more you serve together, the more you encourage each other. Can you say amen? amen? Amen. So what's God calling us to do? To meet together. Make it a priority. Put it on the calendar. Don't say, yeah, if I have time, I will do it. If I'm free that day, if I have nothing else to do, then I'll go. No. Make it a priority. I will not miss it. It's just like those parents who get up at 7 something on Sunday morning to send their children to the best tuition <laughs> in the neighborhood, maybe in the whole island, I don't know, I don't know where they come from, right? So that they get the best. Make that this commitment and say, God, this is what I want to do. I want to make sure my heart will not grow cold. In fact, I want to make sure my heart will be on fire for you until I see your face. Can you say amen? And God has provided us the antidote. He says, don't neglect meeting together. He's talking about a small group, the cell group. He's talking about serving together in small units beyond the large gathering. You and I can do it. You and I can see Jesus' face with our hearts full of love and fire. Can you say amen? Is that your desire? Amen? Let's pray. Hallelujah. Father, we just thank you that you're calling us to develop a deep and meaningful relationship with one another so that we can be honest enough to care for each other, to challenge each other, to love and serve. And we ask that you will help us to respond to your word. This morning I'm talking to two groups of people. The first group are people who have already made this a habit. Unless it's a matter of life and death, you will never miss the worship gatherings the cell group, the ministry you're serving in because it's a priority for you. It's a top priority. And I want to pray for you and commend you 
I want to pray that God will give you the strength to continue to do it, but to go one step beyond, and that is to bring other people along, to encourage other people along to say, yes, let's do it together. Let's serve God together. Let's meet together. Let's serve in this ministry together. Let's meet in a cell group. Go one step beyond. If that's you, I want to pray for you. Wherever you are, would you lift your hand and say, Pastor, would you help me to take the next step? I'm doing it. But by God's grace, I want to bring other people along. I want to spur them on to love and good deeds. If that's you, would you lift your hand? I want to pray for you. Yes, yes, there's quite a few people. Thank you, yes. Now, there's a second group I want to pray for. And that is, this is not a habit for you. This has not been a top priority, but today, God's Word has spoken to your heart and you recognize the danger of falling away, of your heart becoming cold. And you know that God has provided the antidote and that is for us to gather together regularly as a small group, what we call a cell group, to serve in a ministry together. And today you realize you need to make this a habit, you need to make a commitment to make this a top priority. And you know it's going to be difficult because there are so many competing loyalties, so many things that are pulling at you, taking your time. But today you say, God, I know this is important because I want to see Jesus face to face with my heart full of love and fire for Him. I don't want my heart to grow cold. I don't want to fall away. I want to develop this habit. God, help me. Give me the grace. If that's you, I want to pray for you. Would you lift your hand wherever you are? Yes, yes. Anyone else, quickly. Anyone else, wherever you are, just put your hand up and say, pray for me. Yes, I want to make this a priority. Yes. Now I'm going to pray for both groups. Even if you didn't raise your hand, but you want to receive this prayer, put your hand in your heart right now as we pray. Father, right now I pray for those in the first group. Thank you for their commitment to you. Lord, I just ask for your grace to strengthen them so that this habit will be stronger and that they will not only commit themselves to meet together, but bring others along to the cell group and bring others along to the ministry that they serve in so that their hearts will be even further be on fire and others will be encouraged. Father, I also pray right now for those who have not yet made this a habit. Father, in the name of Jesus, Speak to our hearts right now, O oh God, as you have convicted us. Help us to make this commitment that from this day forward, this will be a top priority. We will no longer give excuses, but we will say, yes, we will gather with our fellow believers in a small group. We will serve in a ministry. We will talk to the pastor to find out which group we can belong to, which ministry we can serve in. Because we do not want to meet Jesus and have our hearts cold. We do not want to fall away. We want to be on fire for God all the way until we see Jesus. Father, we ask for your special grace to be released upon each of our brothers and sisters right now so that we will follow through with our commitment today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.